Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Let's do it. Let's do it. Now, the guy who likes to get down and dirty, but cleans up real well. You get it. It's time for Beyond Okra with David the Hound Leggett. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Ultra. I am your host, David the Hound Liggett. Today is Thursday, May 26, 2016 at 11.30 in the morning on the East Coast in sunny Pennsylvania. As always, my show is brought to you by P4P Muscle and P4P Studios, the number one drug-free athlete sponsorship foundation in the world. So if you are an athlete that is looking for a solid foundation or just looking for a clean, drug-free base supplement, check out P4P Muscle at P4PMuscle.com. As always, you can get 15% off using my code HOUND at checkout. Check them out. They have a new alter ego coming out. It is uh, supposed to be amazing. And I use regular alter ego 2.0. I absolutely love it as my pre-workout. So check it out, brand new Alter Ego, brand new flavors of everything coming out. The flavors taste exactly as advertised on the side of the label, so check them out. I'm loving Fruit Punch right now. They have cotton candy. Um, I have Grasshopper Pie Way. Everything is amazing. So today I have a uh, pretty interesting guest. Uh, most people recognize him by face. They recognize him as a person that works for Runner's World and basically an ambassador running throughout the entire world. So you probably know his name, you probably see him around, but you probably don't know the story um, of his life and his experiences and everything he has to offer. So today we will be talking to Bart Yasso, and I'm going to get right into it because he's a, he's a great guy, and we're going to just get right into it because we have a lot to talk about today. So Bart, good morning. How are you? Hey, David, good morning. It is sunny and warm here in Pennsylvania, which is a good thing. I love heat. Bring bring on the heat. Um, I'm all about that uh, running in the heat. I'm absolutely with you there. Um, you know, I'm actually from Reading, and I know you're, you're, uh, you're up in the Bethlehem area, so we're not that far yeah. apart. But, uh, you know, as of lately, it has been, if you guys are, you guys are out where it's sunny over in the West Coast, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of people that I hook up with for running are out in Arizona and Colorado. Well, Colorado, not so much. They have snow right now, but it's been cold here for quite some time, Bart, and I, I would agree. I am definitely welcoming this 80-degree heat, so bring it yeah. on. Yeah, everyone was complaining. We had, it was warmer in some of the winter days than in the spring days, but now we seem to be clicking into the right temperatures which is good oh and yeah our, our, we're about the runner's world headquarters is about 30 miles east of reading so you probably heard the intro and and i and you know before i really got to reading you have a book out and we're, we're going to touch on all that but before i got to reading your book and everything i knew you as hey there's that guy that worked for runner's world magazine or, you know there's the guy, <laughs> that I, guy I like it and I say, well, I know his, his name's Bart, and they have these funny caricatures and cutouts and printouts of things over at Runner's World, but would you like to introduce uh, what you do, Bart, and who you are, and, and basically what, you, what you're doing over at Runner's World Magazine these days? Yeah, sure, David. Yeah, so my title at Runner's World is Chief Running Officer. I've been at Runner's World just about 30 years. Uh, you know, I get to retire next year after doing this stuff for 30-plus years, and so I'm going to step away next year but for now i'm gonna keep going <laughs> until i retire uh but i do a little bit of everything uh you know whether it's uh on our editorial side or marketing side uh i've traveled to a ton of events about 40 plus weekends a year i'm at an event somewhere around the country 
actually somewhere around the globe. I, I do more domestic travel these days than I used to, uh, but I still do a couple international trips every once in a while. Uh, but, you know, running's still going strong. And, of course, the face publishing has changed. You know, now now our social media is a massive reach, and, you know, our magazine is still killing it very large, and our website is... 6.6 million unique visitors a month. So there's all these ways to connect with people. The thing is, is to make sure that we have the right content for everybody and to be engaging with people. And it's basically these days you engage with people 24 seven, 365. There is no downtime now that, uh, you know, the internet is, is out there and just the way that uh, we can communicate these days. So, you know, it's one of these one of the jobs I have. It just it never stops, which uh, which is a good thing because I love what I do. That's uh, that's awesome, and you know, especially loving what you do and and being excited to go to work. I I think that's fantastic. And like you said, six million visitors a month. That that's that's amazing. Yeah, our website runnersworld dot com six point six million unique visitors every month are. Facebook is like 1.9 million. Our Twitter is 1.7 million. Instagram's like 900,000. You know, and then we all have our own personal Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, like myself. So there's, you know, it's just amazing. The, the sheer numbers are uh, astronomical. But it's it just shows the the interest in the sport. Absolutely. And, you know, I appreciate the fact that, like you said, you're, you're going on 30 years. And, and you started in, in uh, 1987, correct? You got it. You got that right, dude. 30 years, and, and you know, you've been, you've been blessed with traveling and racing. And uh, you actually developed a new program when you, when you came over to Runner's World. Do you want to talk about that program? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out here. I, I get uh, a lot of times for uh, race directors and, and people of that nature that, that follow the show. Yeah, so when I first started, that's what I did. I I worked on this, what we call our our race sponsorship program, where we ended up working with over 6,000 events, which represented about 2 million runners. And it was a way to, you know, work with events, because at the time, events were just growing. Our sport was on this wave of growth, and events were driving the growth. So we set up this program, which I managed to uh, to deal with all the events and to help all the events. And, you know, in return, we promoted Runner's World through the events. So it was uh, one of the programs I worked on from day one. And it's still around. It's changed a lot over the years. Uh, but, you know, we uh, we still love working with events because it's, it's what our sport is all about. I mean, you know, we love to run, but everyone loves a good event. I mean, that really kind of makes your year, you know, going out there running six, seven, eight races over a year. Some people up to 20 races a year just depends on, uh, on what, what you're out there doing. But, uh, you know, it's fun to, to really get involved with the events. I call it point of sweat contact with our, with our readers. Absolutely. Now you, you didn't, you didn't always run. Um, do you want, do you want to talk about a little bit, uh, how, you know, my, my shows are built on, I, I want to inspire people to get out and move and mm-hmm. what, what I call emotionally fit and, and just to, just to kind of help themselves better themselves. So you actually found running as a way, as a way to better yourself. Do you, would you like to talk about that part? Sure. Do. Yeah. I always say to people, you know, a lot of people ask me, I do a lot of volunteer work on the side for the sport and really try to promote it you know, even when I'm not doing my job. And people always ask me why I spend so much time doing that, speaking to kids and old folks home. You know, I go everywhere to speak to groups. And, uh, you know, I tell people running saved my life, and I want to pass it on to other people that they can use the power of this sport. You know, I was very fortunate to start running when I was 21 years old, uh, just about 40 years ago. And, uh, you know, if I didn't, I guarantee you I wouldn't be here today. And uh, so I, I mean literally running saved my life. You know, I had this – took this wrong turn early in my life and started down that road of drugs and alcohol at a, a really bad way, not a not occasional or casual way, in a very uh, addicted way. And, uh, you know, I was lucky to get out of that haze and – 
make that transition into a better life and a normal life. But uh, I never thought running would play a role in it, but, you know, it did. It really gave me focus and helped me and, uh, you know, it really got me away from all the stuff I didn't really want to do but was doing. And, uh, you know, in in the end, it, it saved my life. And I, and I love that you – I love that you're open about, you, you, you know – past experiences and finding running to, to save yourself because I, I think that's fantastic. And there's a lot of people out there that, that definitely need some kind of other outlet. And, sure. you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in the, in, in that boat. I was actually uh, fat and unhealthy. I was over 240 pounds. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually a police officer in, in uh, Redding Bart. And yep. uh, I got hurt. And I was out for over a year. I got fat. I got lazy. I didn't want to exercise. I was sick every day. And uh, I just got back into running. And same, you know, it's it's now just a new lifestyle for me. And, you know, here I am, uh, 90 pounds lighter and just, just feel great about running. So we all find our way, I think, guys. At the yeah. Point, we all find our way. And, you know, the most common ground I always hear is uh, exercise or running from everybody. And I, I don't know about you, Bart, but I, I go out and when I go out and step on the trail or the road, just everything melts away. It's just my own little. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. I mean, I always tell people, you know, because a lot of people say, you know, oh, I just don't feel like I should run today. Or I just don't feel right. It's just tell them, just get out the door. Once you start, everything will fall into place. And once you get back, you're going to be so happy you stepped out the door and did that run. I fully agree. I fully agree. And, you know, this opens up to, to the, the next topic that I have listed is uh, basically you have had some amazing adventures. Um, if you guys read the, read the intro or you actually looked up Bart, you would know that he has a book. It's called My Life on the Run, The Wit, Wisdom, and Insights of a Road Racing Icon. Now, you're all probably thinking, oh, it's probably just all about road races. This is not a book about just about road races. I mean, I, I opened his book. And literally, page one, I was just, I was just sucked in. And uh, I don't know, Bart. I don't want to give too much about your book because I want people to actually go out and read your book. But is, are there a couple like highlights you'd want to share? Some crazy stuff. Sure. You know, it is. I always say, you know, it is written as a memoir and it is my life story. But I always tell people it's not a story about Bart Yasso. It's a story about running. It's a story about a a person that used a sport to change his life and to literally open up the door and travel the world. I mean, I've been everywhere from Antarctica to the Arctic Circle to Everest Base Camp. I've done races literally all over the world. And running was that vehicle that took me to these places. So, you know, besides saving my life, it really it it served as a vehicle to take me around the world, which I always thought I wanted to travel and I always thought I wanted to do this stuff. Uh, but when I was in that drug alcohol haze, it just wasn't feasible and would, would have never happened. But, uh, you know, the running did. And, uh, you know, and I've run some crazy races like the Badwater 146 mile race in Death Valley in July. And, you know, you got a hundred mile races in the Himalaya, uh, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I never, I never turned away an adventure. Everything that came my way, I accepted the, you know, the uh, invite and the kind of, you know, what I do for a living, basically, ex- except that, uh, you know, part of my job is to run 146 miles through Death Valley. I just, uh, I embraced it all, never shied away from anything. And, you know, I didn't know it at the time when I was doing all this stuff that, you know, I, someday it would be in a book or, you know, I was just doing it because, I just loved, I felt I had these opportunities and I wasn't going to pass them up. So, uh, but hey, I hear all the time about uh, my book, My Life on the Run. People get inspired by it and that makes me happy because I, you know, when you write a book about yourself, uh, you know, I'm a shy person. So it's not, wasn't something I wanted to do, never thought I would do it. Uh, even when I was doing it, was not, didn't think it was the right thing to do. Um, right. But in hindsight, you know, after I, Meet so many people that have read my book. I'm really glad I did because, uh, you know, if it changed their lives to the better, then it was all worth it, and that's what makes me happy. 
Absolutely. And like, like I said, such an easy read. Um, and, and I think it's because it is so, it is so just, you, you know, life expression. And it's just you talking about, you know, the things you've done. And I think that's what makes it such an easy read. There's, there's nothing complicated. You know, you can picture everything. I, I, and I, I've been telling my wife this, you know, for the last couple of days that I want to bring this up. And I saw you talk about it. You, you talked at Google when it was on YouTube. I want to mention two words. And I think this will this will make you laugh, and you'll you'll have a story from this. Taco Bell. Oh yeah, Taco Bell. That thing, that, God, that animal almost killed me. The burrow race in Westcliff, Colorado, and I didn't know what I was getting into. You run ten kilometers with a burrow, and you know, I said, well, I don't have a burrow, and they said, oh, there's one set up for you. This girl named Taco Bell, and you go out there and run with Taco Bell, and. Man, Taco Bell started that race so fast, and I couldn't run that fast, but I did that day because I was uh, attached to Taco Bell with a 20-foot rope, and uh, yeah, Taco Bell almost killed me. And then, you know, I never, until I until I started working on the book is when I said, well, you know what, i got to reach out to that guy that owns Taco Bell and see how Taco Bell's doing. And it really uncanny, I call the guy up, I research his name and his phone number. I get his phone number, realize it's the right guy. I call him up and ask him about Taco Bell, and he is just silence on the other end of the line. And I, and, you know, I said, what's wrong? He goes, he said, I can't believe you called me today. He he said he had to put down Taco Bell just the day before. He got some kind of a disease in his in his leg, and they had to put him down. And he thought I was you know, calling him for condolence. And I had no clue. I haven't communicated with this guy in, it was about 11 years. And I just happened wow. to call that day. It was really uncanny. And then, you know, we then we started having a nice conversation because I really thanked him for what Taco Bell did to me. And, you know, we, we had a lot of fun together and the call turned out to be a good call. Uh, we joked a lot about Taco Bell and it was what, uh, what this guy needed at the time, and that just wasn't planned. It just kind of worked out that way. Yeah, and they said he. You, you mentioned in your book he was probably one of the one of like the a burrow didn't get along with anybody. He was like bitey and yeah. And everything. See, I didn't know. I had no clue. I thought you know going to this race, you know these other runners actually own their animal and trained with their burrow and have done a burrow race before. I was a total amateur. And then they give me this mean Taco Bell. <laughs> and not only was Taco Bell mean, but he was fast, and everyone knew it. And no one wanted to run with Taco Bell because he starts out too quickly, and you get literally drugged down the road. So it was a total setup, and I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I do know now <laughs> after that gun went off and realized what, what happened. But, you know, but it makes for a good story, so it, it all worked out in the end. Absolutely, and like I said, I don't I don't want to give too much of your book away because I, I like I said I, I I would want to see people go out and read read your book and uh, you know I guys he talks about uh, setting up a, a marathon in Antarctica and the fun adventure of parking with a horse you know I I laugh I mean I, I I'm reading his book and I'm just laughing because I'm trying to picture all this stuff that you're describing and like I said I don't want to give it away I want I want people to read it but. Uh, you know, you're now the yeah, Antarctica is a magical place, and you know, I never, I really don't have a fear of animals. You know, I've gone all over Africa, I've seen lions when I've been out on a run. Uh, you know, I literally, uh, you know, chased by rhinos in Nepal. But I'm telling you, I was scared to death of uh, a bird called a skuer in Antarctica. Those birds were so aggressive, and just kept attacking me relentlessly. It was unbelievable. I never thought I would be afraid of a bird the size of a crow, uh, but I'm definitely afraid of that bird, <laughs> especially when they're nesting and you're in Antarctica. That's when they were really, really aggressive. And I'm sure at the time it wasn't funny, but I mean, reading the book, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because you're describing yeah. this giant flag trying to mark the, you know, the cores <laughs> to, just to keep them away from smashing in the head. You know, it's. Yeah, it's funny. And uh, you know, I actually talked to one other person that's run a marathon on, on the uh, down in Antarctica, and that would be Dean Carnassus. Yeah, Dean's done the. Uh, I forget exactly the the one I did was called the Antarctica Marathon, but he did one 
diff, with a different name and all the way down by the South Pole. Yeah, I think and, when uh, he... I think when he ran, it actually didn't even have a name. I think it was just an adventure that they went out for North Face. And just, right, and then they just did it, yeah. I actually hooked up with Dean in uh, 2014 at the New York City Marathon in the middle of the race. I just happened to look over, and I'm like, oh, is that Dean Carnassus? And, you know, we got to running and talking about it. So it's kind of cool to hear the stories about, about running down in such an environment like that. And you've actually run marathons and all I have, yeah. That's the, you know, running races on all seven continents is just one of those. It's just a fun thing to say. I it wasn't something I really set out to do, but once you do a race in in Antarctica, it gets a lot easier to do, to do the other six. So it just kind of, because of my crazy travel, uh, you know, it all all happened. Absolutely. Um. So. You, I mean, your big thing is is marathons, you know, twenty six point twos, and uh, through training, you you used to run uh, eight hundred meters, and you would train and write down your eight hundred times. And for those for those of you that don't know, eight hundred meters twice around the track, um, you would you would run eight hundreds and write down your times. And you realize soon that between running marathons and running these eight hundreds, you were able to predict a finishing time for a marathon. Do you want to talk about that? And it's now been termed. Yasso 800. Do you want to talk about <laughs> yeah, sure, David. Yeah, it's crazy having a workout named after you. Yasso 800s, I hear about them every day. No matter where I'm at, people approach me and talk to me about Yasso 800s. And uh, But it goes way back when uh, I did my first marathon in 1980. And uh, I just remember, you know, I did a track workout prior to to that race, and I do remember my favorite workout was 10 times 800. I don't know why, I just like that workout. 10 times 800, 400 meter recovery. And, uh, you know, I just would write down the times I would run, and eventually a second marathon, third marathon, fourth, you know, as I kept doing marathons, I always used that workout as my key workout, because it just felt good, I got confidence from it. And then Years later is when I noticed that correlation, what I was averaging in the 800 meters in minutes and seconds equaled my marathon time in hours and minutes. So if I was running a 240 marathon, I was averaging 2 minutes and 40 seconds for my 800 meters. I was running a marathon in 2 hours and 40 minutes. So that correlation was there, and that's what fascinated me. And uh, and then realized that it really, you know, as I got faster, the 800 meters got faster, and I was like, wow, this is kind of cool. And I told this to Amby Burfoot, a gentleman who was a longtime executive editor and editor at Runner's World and also won the Boston Marathon, which is a pretty nice race to have on your resume as a winner of the Boston Marathon. So uh, Amby thought it was the greatest thing, and you know, we did a story in Runner's World, and he came up with the idea to name him after me, and uh, that was in 1993. And they're still as popular, you know, as when the magazine came out. Uh, so it's, it's amazing that they stood the t- test of time. And, you know, they don't work for everyone, but they work for a lot of people. And some people, sure. you know, tell me, oh, they don't work. And I say, you know, I Hey, I, I always say I never told anyone they worked for anyone but me, and uh, <laughs> you know I said, but I do know they work for a lot of people just you know from all the emails I receive and correspondence. So you know it does work. I mean you still it's you know it's just one of the workouts you do. You still got to do all the other hard work and everything else you, you got to do. But uh, but it does work for a lot of people, and it is fun to have a workout named after. There's no doubt about it. That, yeah, absolutely. I, and you know what's funny is, and I'm sure every time you hear about it, it's probably something that's the way they speak about it probably isn't the nicest, but they mean it in the <laughs> nicest way. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. They, uh, yeah, I get people, you know, I see on Twitter, excuse me, on Twitter and Facebook all the time that uh, runners are heading out to curse my name, and uh, you know they all say it in a kidding way, but I love it. You know, it's kind of fun. It, uh, but because it, it is a tough workout, ten times eight hundred. You know, once you, you know, when I did it, I did a three mile warm up, ten times eight hundred, three mile cool down. It was like a, like eleven and a half miles of running, and uh, you yeah. know, it's a hard workout. So, no doubt, it should be, 
cursing my name when they're out there, and they're, then they're doing it right. Well, I wonder if they're. Uh, I wonder if now, when they listen to this, they'll they'll do the three mile warm up and then do the the ten times eight hundred, and they'll really be cursing. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when I was doing all this stuff back in the uh, late seventies, early eighties, everybody ran a lot of mileage, which is not the case these days. It's very yeah. common for every marathon runner to run a hundred miles a week. And uh, that's not the case these days. And I don't profess running that much. Uh, so it's just a different, it was a different time back uh, sure. when I started doing these marathons. Well, and, and amazingly now you've got all these, all these uh, studies on strength training and you know, weightlifting and conditioning instead of going out and running and getting, you know, getting faster. Now. And I think that, I think you're right. I think that's where that's and, you know, we always see what's the most common distance of races anymore is the 5K. So yeah, 5K out, is massive. 5K. The largest growth has been in the half marathon yeah. uh, for a number of years. Uh, you know, a half marathon has just become so popular. But you're right. I mean, the more people can do a 5K than can do a marathon. There's no Which doubt about it. Fantastic, though. You know, yeah. I mean, people are, out, people are out running and people are out doing it. and. That's I go to what we want. We want people out there. People eye me up and say, you know, what do you plan on running this 5K in? And I'm like, I don't know, like 18 minutes. And someone's like, oh, I'll be lucky if I run 50 minutes. I'm like, you know what? If you finish the race, you, you know, you're the winner, regardless of what your time is. Just go out and run, you know, finish the race. And people don't think of it that way. But, you know, that's how I see it. You're, you're, you're becoming healthy and, you know, you're having a good time at the same time. So. Yeah. Uh, I share the same philosophy, Dave. That's awesome. Um, so the next point I have, and uh, you talk about it in your book, and I, and I know you've done it. You do. You have done other things besides running, and I know you started out uh, doing duathlon. Um, how did you? How did you like racing those? I'm sorry, I, I messed that part there. I'm sorry. So you were out, you actually started out doing duathlon. Oh yeah, yeah. Back when uh, I'd say eighty. I did my first triathlon in 82 or 83 and then duathlons really became popular 84, 85, 86 and I I did a ton of them and uh, you know still did triathlons too in the summertime but did more duathlons of cycling and running and I did that just because I just didn't uh, you know it was just the swimming part was just hard to get to a pool for me with work and all the craziness so I really the running and the cycling just seemed so much easier because I ran right out my front door and the same, you know, I hopped on my bike and went right out my front door. So it just seemed a lot easier. Uh, but I actually got pretty good at it for quite a while, and it was fun to do and win a lot of races. And uh, and it was interesting to be part of the triathlon scene when it first started because it was uh, – bunch of mostly people coming from a running background getting in the triathlon occasional uh people coming from a swimming background or cycling background most most people came from a a running background and it was just it was just fun to do something different and uh and i always like cycling i mean uh it's just something about it just uh you cover so much more ground than running uh, you know, there's that speed element to it, going 60 miles an hour down a hill. Uh, you know, something I, I just always liked it. And, and I think I was always so, actually better at cycling than I was at running, even though I, you know, I concentrated more on the running because once I got my job at Runners World, I kind of got away from the triathlon, duathlon scene and really just stuck to the running. Understood. And in, in 1992, though, you took the cycling to a whole other level, and you went out, and you cycled across the country. Yeah, I cycled across the U.S. twice, solo, uh, 1992 and 1994. And you know, it's interesting. When I did that, uh, you know, it was before all the technology took off, before the Internet was prevalent, uh, before the cell phone is, is what it is today and the communication tools that we have today. But you know, I you know, and I always thought to myself, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to go back and do those two uh, bike rides across the U.S. with today's technology? And honestly, I, I, you know, at first I thought it would be cool, and then actually the 
the distracted driver stuff scares me more now than back when I did it. So yeah. it's it's kind of like it would be fun to communicate, but uh, you know I don't know if it's uh, it, it's a good thing in in what's going on with distracted driving. It drives me crazy that people text and <laughs> look at their phone while they're driving because they're they're not only risking their life, but they're going to kill somebody. And I still commute every day on my bike to work. Uh, so, you know, I still ride a fair amount, uh, but that stuff scares me. But, I, it, you know, when I rode cross country, the first time I did it, it took me 20 days. I averaged about 160-some miles a day. And then the uh, second time I did it, I averaged about 170-some miles a day. But doing it solo with, you know, two small packs on your bike so you have everything, I was completely self-sufficient. Uh, it's, it's just athletically the most fun thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, there's just something about going across this country at 14, 15 miles an hour, taking in the topography changes, the cultural changes, uh, you know, just meeting people in these small towns in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I absolutely loved it. And I did a northern route, which is a little bit tougher. It's a little bit longer. I always tell people Seattle to New York City just for just so you get the basic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where I start and where I finish. But I start a little northwest of Seattle, and I finished a little south of New York City in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Uh, wow. But, you know, you just need to stick your back tire in the Pacific waters and then your front tire in the Atlantic waters, and then you've gone across the United States, but it was uh, it was so much fun to do. When I did it in 92, I just I had so much fun, I just said I gotta do it again, so I did it again <laughs> two years later, worked up you know, my vacation, and uh, it was uh, it was a great experience. That's, and uh, for those of you listening, you can actually read about Bart's 1992 travel in his book. Um, and I, I love, I love how you, uh, well, number one, I went out to Ohio a couple times for, uh, uh, I told you on the phone before we started, uh, I raced uh, obstacle course races. And mm-hmm. we, went out to yep. Ohio. we went out to Ohio for uh, the obstacle course racing world championship the last two years. And every time we come back or go out, we have to go through the tunnels up yeah. in the, uh, the western part of the state of Ohio. But in your book, obviously, you're not allowed to ride through the tunnels because it's Pennsylvania. Yeah. You actually, you actually talk about, you know, riding from the west all the way out to the east and just talk about, and, and I can picture it perfectly when you said you had to go over the tunnels on the mountains in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. So it's, the, the I, hills in western Pennsylvania are brutal. I mean, they make going through Wyoming and Montana look like a joke. And I've cycled all over Colorado and uh, cycling in Colorado is the easiest thing in the world compared to Western Pennsylvania. The hills are relentless, and every you either go up or down nonstop. It's unbelievable. But I do remember those two tunnels. I believe yeah. the, there's the town of Bedford and the town of Breezewood. I remember those towns very well. And the tunnels are right near the, those two towns, and you just – you know, you. I know why they built those tunnels because I went up these hills that were just incredible. And you get to the top and you look down and you see where all the traffic is going through these tunnels. And I'm, and then you go, ah, oh, now I get it. The trucks couldn't get over these hills even if they were probably you know, going two miles an hour. They you had to blow the tunnels. Yeah. What's that, David? You you wonder sometimes if you want to run the actual risk of just getting on the highway and riding the highway and maybe getting in trouble. Oh, my God. It would cut so much pain off of that ride. But but it was beautiful. It really was. And that, and nobody's on those roads. So when you're on those roads, you got the whole road to yourself. Everyone's oh, really? you know, on the main road going through the tunnels. It, it, I mean, seriously, those hills are so brutal. It's, it's tough on a car. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I you know I grew up in uh, in New England in Connecticut. And we moved here to Pennsylvania. I remember thinking how flat it was and how farm country. But, you know, in reality, it's probably one of the most beautiful states I, I've seen, especially to run in. Um, you know, and, and anybody that, that goes from West Coast to East Coast will see that the obvious, the mountain changes. You know, I'm with you. Yeah. And it's not, 
and we're not talking mountains like Colorado. Like you say, riding in Colorado is easier because the roads are gradual. You come to a Pennsylvania road, and the road is just instantly steep for like yeah. Uh, what do we say about it? maybe like 700 feet of elevation and then just drops off in a road in Pennsylvania on a hill. Yeah, and that's what I found in all the cycling I did in, in Colorado. You know, I would ride some really long climbs that would climb up right. to, you know, 10, 11,000 feet, but they would be at this 4 or 5% gradient, which was a piece of cake. There's parts <laughs> of the hills, are, you know, that I was on, they were twenty four twenty eight percent gradient and yeah. for a long stretch it's just crazy but it, it was a lot of fun to be honest <laughs> I wish I could do that stuff these days i uh, I mean I know oh, yeah. I could still do it just not nearly as fast as I used to do it <laughs> I'll tell you um I ran a marathon it was actually only my second marathon I've only ever run four marathons to be honest with you even though I run ultra marathons I've only ever done four marathons and my very first marathon Garden Spot Village in Lancaster. Oh yeah, and that yeah, is a brutal twenty-six miles I've ever run. Trail doesn't even compare to it, and that's what yeah. we're talking about with the steep gradients. It's just right around mile fourteen. It's just straight uphill, straight downhill, straight uphill, straight downhill, and yeah, that's a brutal marathon. Yeah, I did Garden Spot one time. It is a brutal. It's a fun race, but it is brutal. Uh, and they they always say at the first that right at the starting line. Who's doing this as their first marathon? And, you know, a whole bunch of people raise their hand. And they're like, good luck. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, don't even, they don't even say you're going to have a PR, you're going to have a good day. They just go, good luck. And yeah, I always wonder, like what, seven and a half mile mark, everybody's turning around because everybody's running a half marathon. There's only like 10 of us that run beyond the, you know, the half marathon point at some point. And I know why now. You got that right there. You, you had designed... You had designed your own marathon, and I think now it's rated the second fastest marathon in the country. Am I correct with that, Bart? Yeah, the Via Race. Yeah, yeah, that was a course I did. I, I set that up as a, a relay marathon years ago, and then it turned into just you know still a relay and a marathon, and now it's a marathon, half marathon, and and relay. And yeah. uh, Via is a great organization, and they've raised a lot of money for. Disabled citizens in the Lehigh Valley, I love that the money stays local. So, uh, you know, I don't remember how long ago, but I'm going to say 12-some years ago, I, I gave the race to Via to raise money mm-hmm. for the charity, and uh, they've, they've done a great job with it. And it is a fast course. It's point-to-point, point and you follow that Lehigh River. You know, that as long as you see that that <laughs> river flowing the same direction that you're running – that's a good thing because rivers are – they flow that way because of gravity. And, uh, you know, it's just it, – there's a lot of slight downhill on that course. And uh, it's, yep. it's a pretty fast course. If if they get the good weather, you know, if they can get a, you know, a nice normal weather day in September, uh, it's a fast course. Absolutely. I had the uh, chance to run via last year. It was oh, the first cool. time. I actually saw you at mile, mile Three maybe? Well, I think we left the hospital. Yeah, I, I hang out at mile three and then about mile eight, and then I go down to the finish. I bounce around. I, I'm out there on my bike and bounce around a couple spots and cheer people on. Yeah, and it's a it's a point to point. It starts in uh, in Allentown at the Lehigh Valley Hospital. And I was amazed because I showed up early and there was like no starting line set up. So I was like, where's the starting line? And it was amazing to watch this crew come up put this starting line up, organize this whole beginning, and then by the time come back, everything's down. And I was like, this is absolutely amazing. It's, it's, <laughs> it's impressive to watch. Yeah, yeah, they do a great job. Yeah, they try not to be too intrusive on the uh, Lehigh Valley Hospital campus because it, uh, it's an active hospital, so it's not like you want to go in there and set up structures, you know, days in advance. So, uh, yeah, the crew really, they, they – set everything up early in the morning, get it going, and that sun comes up, that race starts, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, And absolutely. you really run through the Lehigh Valley. I mean, that is basically, you know, you're running, uh, you're running east. You're running from the, you know, heading east most of the time, and it is really a cruise through Lehigh Valley, through the three cities that make the Lehigh Valley, Allentown, Bethlehem, and Easton. I, and I and I like the uh, the expo the day before is over at the uh, the old steel factories. Yep, 
Bethlehem steel, the old steel stacks they call it. And you know when you if if you've never been to the steel stacks in Bethlehem, you gotta go because it is fascinating. You know, it's is truly the start of the Industrial Revolution and what built this country, what it is today. Uh, so much of the Bethlehem steel was used. You know, it was U.S. steel in Pittsburgh and Bethlehem steel in, uh, in Bethlehem were the two big steel companies in the world. They were number one and number two in steel production. And, you know, it's what was building our country when these when these two were at their prime. Yeah. And I, I, I enjoyed going there because I had never been up close to the steel stacks. Um, I've gone to, like, the Sands Casino. If you guys don't know, they built a casino out of some of the old steel mills over in Bethlehem just to, you know, try and bring some vibrancy and life back into the area. And uh, when I got over to the to the Runner's Expo, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. I mean, the, the structures themselves and the, the stone set up streets and just, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's a area absolutely beautiful yeah i mean they're, they bring in new businesses like a casino like the arts quest property which is music and cultural events and uh the pbs tv station is down there so bringing in new stuff but they really want the old facades still intact yeah. and uh you know the Smithsonian got involved with the uh steel stacks so they're preserved forever because uh you can't replicate anything like that. I mean, you know, they're just, they're, they're truly the sleeping giants. I mean, you look at these things, and those things, you know, I watched them run when I, in my whole life when the steel company was open. And, uh, man, those things went 24-7, 365, just pumping out steel. It was unbelievable. unbelievable. Uh, the amount of steel they produced in those heydays, especially during World War One and World War Two. I believe it. I, absolutely. I, I, I can only imagine. I mean, just seeing what's still there is is impressive and it's right. And then just, uh, I, I can't even imagine what it would seem like to, to work there. And of course, probably then you were like, you know, it's just a normal day to day. And now, now you're talking about it like, you know, I remember the day when, when they did it. And, you know, now there's just, there's just, you know, no functioning steel, no more smoke coming out of those things, you know. Yeah. It was, you know, Bethlehem was a pretty polluted town. It isn't like that anymore. Uh, but you know, it, it, things have changed over the years. But uh, but it's a beautiful Bethlehem is a beautiful historic town. Yeah. An- another uh, another favorite place of mine, Bart, to run is Hershey. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. They do the half marathon there. I did the first year. The yep. half marathon went all the way around the town. So you went past the Reese's factory and the Hershey plant and. You know, regardless, now it's an out and back, you still go past the, the original chocolate stacks and the original factory there. And, and I think that's another one that, that I hope they preserve for quite some time. Yeah, and Hershey has a ground. They've always hosted the cross-country races for, for high school right. kids. So it's really cool. Hershey's always had this running component. Obviously, they're known for chocolate, uh, but yeah. uh, but they do have a running component there. And now that they put on the half marathon, and it, it's a pretty city, it's a uh, it's a great place. And uh, and they pick they pick a right time of year. I believe the race conflicts with our Runners World Half Race in Bethlehem a lot. So I know it's that mid October time frame. Uh, pretty close. We're always, yeah, we're always in that mid October time frame. That's what I was just going to bring up. You guys have the uh, the, the Runners World. Uh, I forgot. I forgot what you actually call it. I I have it on the tip of my tongue. We just call it the Runners World Half Marathon and Running Festival because we really do a lot of festivities all weekend long. A lot of seminars, movies, you know, guest speakers, stuff like that. And then we also launched uh, a race we're calling the Runners World Classic in uh, North Andover, Massachusetts. We partnered with. Dave McGilvery, the race director of the Boston Marathon, and uh, yeah. and uh, he's putting on this Runner's World Classic for us uh, July 15th through the 17th. And then, of oh. course, the Runner's World Half is in that October time frame, uh, right that weekend, right in mid-October, which I think this year is the uh, this year is the 14th, 15th, and 16th. Yes. Yeah, in October. And, and you know, we... We've always had good weather for that race. I mean, cool temperatures, usually like 45 degrees at the start and 52, 53 degrees at the finish. Good running weather, as you know. Yeah, so it's got fun. 
And that's why we picked that time of the year to do it. Plus, we get the fall colors are in full bloom, and you know, it's, it's uh, and it just makes the city a little, a little bit prettier and adds a little flavor to it. Makes it a lot of fun. I think this year I'm actually going to get out to to run that. It might only be the half marathon because I have an ultra marathon on October 2nd, but you know I I, I definitely want to run the half there this year. Um, gotcha. Every year for me, it's been the uh, the obstacle course racing world championships was over the same weekend, so I'd go out oh, to Ohio. Okay. The, uh, and the the, deal, we, the ultra is it the Blues Cruise and yes. Blue Marsh? Yes, it is. One of my favorite races. Yeah, yeah, I did the, it uh, two years ago, I think. Okay. Yeah, two, uh, 2014 I did it, yeah. Ironically, I was told that uh, the first two times I ran the race, they would have not allowed me to run it. Um, when I was fat and got thin, Bart, I actually uh, developed heart problems. So I had four heart surgeries. And wow. The first, time I ran, the first time I ran Blues Cruise was in 2011, two weeks after my first heart surgery. Wow. And I was taking medication. It would slow my heart rate down. I couldn't get my heart rate over 110 beats a minute. So I ran this 50K at a, at a decelerated heart rate while my body was trying to push through. Mm-hmm. And 2012, I had my third third heart surgery again two weeks before that race, and I went out and ran it again. Um, wow. So, so you got to keep I, doing that race. Yeah, I know, right? Um, originally, I ran the race as a memorial to one of my friends. He was a deputy sheriff in, in Berks County, and he had been uh, shot and killed. Oh, and I'm sorry to hear that. Incredible. Thank you, though. Incredible triathlete, uh, runner, everything. And he kept saying, let's run this blues cruise. And we were all like, no, oh, dude. Like, you know, that's you know, 31 miles. We were all at the point where we didn't run 31 miles. And, uh, <laughs> The year he passed, uh, two days before he passed, he was going to get me into CrossFit and things of that nature. And uh, we decided to run it in his honor. So I actually have it tattooed on the back of my leg, the, uh, the 50K and the date, which um, before he passed, he had a 26.2 tattoo in the same exact spot on his same exact leg in the same exact font that I have my 50K. So we ran it in honor of him. And then I guess it's his fault kind of that now I'm an ultra marathoner. Like ever since I ran that, I was like, you know what? I, I, I got to keep doing these races. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Blues Cruise is on my list. So. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough little course and it's fun. When I, when I did it in 2014, there was a gentleman there by, by the name of Daryl Reed. And yes. uh, he went there just to meet me. He said, Barty House, I heard Barty House was doing this race. I'm here to do it. And it was his first ultra and, uh, all he wanted to do was get a picture of me while we were out on the course. So, uh, about a half mile in the race, here he comes and he's, you know, he says, you're Bart, right? I said, yep. And he goes, I'm here because of you and I want to get my picture with you. So we got our picture together. Do you know, from that point on, from the half a mile to the finish, we ran side by side the entire course, all 49 and a half kilometers side by yeah. side. That's awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. And now he, we're very good friends. I go golfing with the guy all the time. It was amazing what happened that day. Fantastic. But he, you know, he just, once we got a picture, he said, can I run with you for like a mile? I said, sure. So we kept running together and then talking and we never stopped. And, you know, I remember <laughs> saying at like mile 28, I said, Daryl, we might as well do the last three miles together because we, we've been together ever since you showed up. So we we finished together. It was pretty pretty fun. That is fantastic, and that's 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 awesome. How how something so simple as you know he recognized you, he knew who you were, wanted to meet you, and now you guys are friends. And you know that's that's absolutely amazing. Way, yeah, way that's, that 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 goes on in the ultra community and the yeah. the road race community, but it really yeah. is a tight family in the ultra community. You'll never, you'll never meet, like, sometimes you look at, uh, a lot of people say, um, you know, I'm tattooed on the forearms and things like that, and sometimes when I run, run races, I'll be bald or I'll have hair, and I'll wear, I'll, sometimes I'll just, if, if it's a race where I know everybody's going to wear black, I'll wear something, like, bright colored so my wife can find me, and, you know, yeah. people, people look, at, look at people running like that and be like, oh, man, you know, they're weird, they're not my kind of people, but if you take the time talk to somebody from an ultra running community or, or anything like that. They're the best people you'll ever meet. Honestly. I agree I with mean, you. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be shocked. Down, 
Yeah. A guy goes down on a course in the middle of the race. We don't even like you stop. You hey, do you need help? And you know you help the guy. The guy, yep. will, you know, most, most times someone say no, I'm just cramping. Just go, or you throw him a salt tab, or I I, I use oral IV sometimes, which is just a water supplement to keep the water in the body. Sure. And if, if I have a couple vials left, I give the, the the last remaining of my supply to those people. You know, and it's just it's amazing the bond that that comes about something like that. You know, at the at the end, it, so what? So. You, Metal, but it's the bonds that you make with the people that you know that that I think stick with you the rest of your life. And I've met a lot I'm of people. Totally agree. You know, I, that, I'm that's totally what it's you. all about. That's why we yeah. do this craziness. And it's amazing. And that's why I do my show. I don't do my show to try and try and gain popularity or people know me. I mean, honestly, you know, I've got a whole 600 followers on on Instagram and you know things of that nature. But I do it more to spread the word that there are a lot of good people out there and, you know, you, you don't know what you're missing until you're just – while you're laying around the couch. Bart, I know. I, for a year and a half, I would wake up, go downstairs, sleep on the couch, and wake up when it was time to go to work. And I would do this every day for a year. You know? <laughs> yeah. It was depression and everything after I had my injury at work. And, you know, it, once I found running and I realized the kind of people that you meet, you know – I can't ask for anything more. I mean, it's, it's yeah. absolutely amazing. You can just strike oh, up a conversation with anybody. You know? That's all. Awesome. I, I mean, I, That's... Runners, just, runners just get a conversation with anybody. Yeah, I agree with you. So do you, do you out of your whole amazing career and, and this, this, amazing, this amazing lifestyle that you live, do you have, do you have anything, like, do you have one favorite part or is, or is everything just kind of like, you know, one big favorite? No, thing I do you? have a favorite part. I, uh, you know... Well, one, the amazing athletes I meet, you know, I always say these people like yourself overcome so much just to get to the starting line. That's what it's all about. The finish line is, uh, you know, you'll get there, but getting to the start is the hard part. And, uh, you know, people like yourself that overcome so many obstacles just to be a runner, just to be out there, just to be part of the game. You know, I see it every weekend, people running on prosthetic limbs and, you know, people surviving cancer and finishing a marathon. I, I I meet people that are actively being treated for cancer. They get their chemotherapy on Friday and Sunday they finish a marathon. I mean, these people just blow me away. There's there's nothing like it. That's by far the favorite part of my job. And then the places I go to, to actually see physical change uh, and using running to make that physical change of Perfect, perfect example is the Comrades Marathon in South Africa, which goes on this weekend. And they call it a marathon, but it is 89 kilometers or 56 miles, 56 wow. hilly miles in <laughs> South Africa. And uh, you know what? They just call it a marathon. It's the oldest ultra in the world. It's been run every year since 1921. And it's the wow. largest ultra in the world, by far the largest ultra in the world, about 24,000 people are going to line up in uh, three days to run comrades. And, uh, you know, that's 24,000 people is unusual on any ultra, let alone a 56-mile, 89-kilometer ultra. But comrades is one of these races that that changed the country of South Africa. You know, during the tough apartheid years, in the early apartheid, they didn't allow the black citizens of South Africa to run the race. They just were not allowed. And then the white South African runners that would do comrades said, you know, if you don't allow the black citizens to run, we're not going to run. If we don't run, you don't have a race. It's that simple. And, of course, the race caved in and and allowed the black citizens to run. And then you know what would happen because you know our sport that uh, all of a sudden the black South Africans were winning comrades. They were on national TV being revered at the highest level in this country. Like the biggest thing that could happen to you in South Africa is to win comrades because it is a, it is the greatest sporting event in the country. And uh, so now during tough apartheid, you know, these black South Africans were, I mean, literally revered as the greatest South African citizen on that day. And, uh, you know, when I interviewed a lot of the black South Africans who would run comrades during apartheid, they felt like apartheid didn't exist during the time they were running comrades. It was like, like apartheid was put on hold. 
Right. And to think that a running race could suppress something as evil as apartheid, that tells you the power of our sport. And then, uh, you know, now apartheid abolished in 93 and then Mandela becomes president and then comrades just flourish. Now it's a much more international race because uh, people are more people are going to South Africa and uh, since the abolishment of apartheid and it's it for, for me the the single most uh, greatest running moment of my life was being interviewed on national TV in South Africa one minute before the start of the Comrades Marathon and I'm up on this stage looking out at 24,000 runners and uh, I could see all the black citizens looking at me smiling and ready to run 56 miles and you know a vision I had that you know 25 years ago there would not have been one black citizen in this field that yeah. scares the daylight out of me to think that that could actually be possible. And 25 years ago is not that long ago. So to, no, to, not. to, you know, I could physically see that change, and it just brought so much joy to my heart. It's by far the greatest running experience. And at that point, I didn't even run a step. But you know, I, <laughs> I, def, I did get done with the interview and got down in the in the corrals and then, you know, started the race with everybody. Uh, but it was, but it really at that point, I didn't even have to run the race. I physically witnessed what I wanted to witness. Uh, but yeah. going out and running the race with the South Africans was just, uh, you know, the icing on the cake. Yeah, I, I believe it. it's probably that sense of pride and, you know, I think the thing for me, and like you said, you know, you get to experience just the exactly exactly what you saw. And for me, when I go to races, it isn't about someone's finishing time. I love to see the look of elation when someone steps foot across the finish line. Yeah. They could be hurting, fighting the whole way, but as soon as that finish line comes comes down, you just see that breakdown of emotion where someone's at their rawest, and yeah. they're just you know just so elated and so happy and you know and I, and I think that's what that's what the culmination is for me for for racing you know it's not it's not my time it's not it's not how I finish or if I win if I don't win it's the feeling of elation and to watch other people come in and and know that they they finished I think I think maybe maybe that's what the whole meaning for that race is when they say that they didn't feel like it existed it's just a you know it's a big celebration I think each race is, is, is yeah. a celebration yeah, and I think, you know, the black citizens were, you know, like white citizens were encouraging them and behind them. And, you know, that just didn't go on during apartheid, yeah. Uh, yeah. specifically on national TV and specifically out in the general public. I'm sure it went on in people's homes. You know, I'm sure not everyone embraced apartheid and not everyone, you know, uh, you know, a lot of white South Africans loved a lot of black South Africans, but it was yeah. it was done behind the scenes, you know, because it just was what what apartheid was meant to be. It was evil. Uh, yeah. But, you know, to think, think that, about. yeah, but to think that a running race can, you know, to have that much of an impact on something that evil, it's, yeah. to me, the greatest, uh, you know, really shows the power of our sport. And I, yeah. I got to physically witness that, and that is by far in my 40 years of running the greatest running experience of my life. That's a, that's fantastic, and I, I'm glad you got to witness that. And you know, I I don't I don't travel too much, so I, I see what's in the realm of you know my my immediate area, Pennsylvania, New England. But you know, I I guess I live vicariously through other people that. Uh, that you know can witness that stuff, and I'm glad you shared that story because it, it's sickening to think that, that that something like that existed. But it's fantastic to think that it was overcame, and now it's a joyous celebration. They don't remember it as being apartheid. Now it's you know it's this marathon, the oldest marathon in the in the world, and 24,000. Yeah, I think that's what makes it so strong, and and I, I think that's an amazing, amazing uh, you know memory to have. Absolutely. Yeah, it is, and that's the truth. I mean, you know, you learn from mistakes and you make change, and then you, right. you know, then it becomes history. And hope we don't repeat and those they, same mistakes. You know, that's exactly right, David. 
Um, so do you have anybody you would like to mention or, or anybody you want to give a shout out to? No, I just don't. Yeah. The only, you know, the, the thanks I have to give out to are the Rodale family that own runner's world. So the company I work for is the Rodale family. And, you know, I work specifically on the runner's world brand, but the Rodale family, which, uh, is the independent publisher that publishes bicycling and runner's world and men's health, women's health, prevention, organic life. You know, I, I loved my, my work in here. I really love what, uh, I love what the company stands for and uh, products we put out. I feel very lucky to have my job. And I, you know, I, I'm thankful for the 30 years you put in. I thoroughly enjoy reading runner's world and, uh, you know, I, I look forward to reading all the articles and, and just seeing things that I can tweak in my own running. Um, you know, so I'm appreciative. I'm appreciative of actually all the magazines that you mentioned. You know, I, I started out when I started first working out with health and, you know, all those things. So I'm, I'm appreciative of those things that, that are out there to help people and just, just give people the idea um, of how to better themselves to make the, make running and make whatever sport they're involved in a lot easier. You know, and um, I, I, I truly, from the bottom of my heart, I'm not jockeying for your position at Runner's World. Please don't think that. Huh. I want to you ahead of time on you know on your on your um upcoming retirement you know yeah like said, thanks, we're, gonna, we're all gonna be sad to see you go honestly because like i said you know you, you you're the running ambassador I, I i truly think you know there there isn't a race where someone oh, can't see you, you. And, you know I, I appreciate it and i appreciate the fact that you go and share your story to everybody so you know i just want to congratulate you on your upcoming retirement i in fact am retiring in january i can actually stay for five more years but you know, I probably oh. will. We, we have a deferred retirement plan, so I can retire, but I can stay five years, and they, they bank my retirement checks for the five years that I stay, up to five years. So, you know, I'm in the same oh, boat. Cool. Um, a little bit younger, a little bit younger, Bart. Yep. I'm, I'm only 38, but in my in, in my career, you know, when you're when you're reaching 40, it's, you know, it's, it's a young man's game out there. So, but yeah, uh, like and I you say, got a tougher, tougher job than I have. I, uh, you know, you got to really uh, being a police officer is really tough duty. It's, well, it's uh, rewarding. We, you know, it's, yeah, we have our, good we have for our you, man. Days. Thank you, thank you. And you know, we have our bad days, and we we get some negative light in the media, but it's not always like that. That's only a you know one percent of my job. So it's a really good job, and uh, you know, I'm glad I've, I've had it. But it's time to move on, and for me, it's going to be moving back into. Something running related. I don't know where, but you know, I got a couple of years to think about it. So, like I said, congratulations on your upcoming retirement. Um, you know, I, I hope you have safe travels. I know you're heading out to more marathons over the next couple of months. Oh yeah, I'm and not stopping yet. I just gotta keep going. If you want to play golf? Let me know. I'm a golfer myself, Bart. I used to have a two handicap. I don't know what it is now, but uh, wow, you know, I'm not that good, but I I'd love to golf with you. There's a lot of golf courses in between my office, the Runners World office, and Reading. We can meet out. That would be awesome. Yeah. I uh, I grew up playing at uh, Heidelberg Country Club, so oh my uh, god, you can, you can imagine. So, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll have to get together. I you know I enjoy I enjoy golf so much, and uh, oh, I do. So they actually they actually opened up Reading Country Club down here to the public. That's uh, Bobby Jones. He used to be the pro. He was the pro there. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that was public. It is public. So I, I actually step out and play Reading Country Club a lot, and it's they actually maintain it really beautifully. And it's the fact that history that I'm stepping out where the great Bobby Jones was at some point. You know. It's, wow, that's cool. It's, it's, I like it's it, beautiful. man. Well, we will definitely yeah. play some golf together. Sounds good, Bart. Sounds good. Hey, I'll, I'll get a hold of you here after the show because once once I end it here, it's gonna it's gonna cut us out. But I'll, I'll yep. get a hold of you. But like I said, I, I really want to appreciate appreciate the fact that you came on and talked and, uh, you know, basically rescheduled. We had the snafu the last show. and Yeah, uh, I'm sorry you know, we my... had that problem last time, but I'm glad we get – I I was adamant that it was – we were going to get it this time. That's my fault, and like I said, I appreciate it this time, and uh, I'll give you a call here in a couple minutes, and we'll, we'll, we'll chit-chat a little All right. off. All right. All right, Dave. Thank you again. Thank you. That was Bart I appreciate it. Uh, guys, Bart Yasso, and uh, tune in for my next episode. I'll post the next one coming up. Um, I, go, I get, you know, get my guests day to day, so it depends on who's available, who's not. And uh, so you guys have been listening to another episode of Beyond Ultra. 
with me, David the Hound Liggett, and today is May 26, 2016. Enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.